Exploring the world of wireless theatres, the Springheel Saga, The Springheel Files, investigated by Cameron K. McEwen. File 3, All the Fun of the Fair. In just one moment in the first episode of The Legend of Springheel Jack, police officer Jonah Smith's life, reputation and world have been torn apart with the murder of Charlotte Fitzrandolph. But in Paris, he called himself... Charlotte? Joe! Charlotte? In episode two, Smith is on the run, accused of a crime he didn't commit, and he needs to solve the mystery. Forced outside the law and left with questions, Smith must clear his name while trying to stay one step ahead of those who would want him behind bars, or worse, dead. And Jonah Smith flees through the streets. An outraged mob are hot on his heels, and poor Charlotte's blood daubs his hands and shirt. With former colleagues willing to believe the worst. I've known the man five years and I never thought he was capable of this. I reckon he finally cracked. Bound to in the end. It becomes more urgent than ever to find new allies willing to believe him. Thrust into an unfamiliar world of London's theatrical penny gaffs, Smith quickly discovers who he can trust and who he can't. And to do so, he must enter the Carnival of Horrors. Thematically, Series 2 is all about masks and theatre, theatricality and playing roles. Smith is accused of murder and has to go on the run. And it all takes place in the world of travelling theatre, Penny Gaffs. And our narrator, Rhymer, is telling you the story. I think I need to sit down. You ain't going to go for it, Peeler. On the contrary. What do you want me to do? You mean you'll help? All the evidence points towards the real killer hiding in a travelling theatre troupe called the Harlequin Players, consisting of Oscar Snitterfield. That's it! The curse has struck again! And a fortune teller in Ethel Jenkins. Ah, yes! The mists are parting. Cuthbert and Lizzie, a magical duo. Why haven't you told him we're performing for Her Royal Majesty? He hasn't given me a chance yet. And a punch and duty man in the form of Elijah P. Hopcraft. That's right, Mr. Punch. You've been a very wicked man, and it's time for me to dump on you! But who are these colourful characters? I noticed something familiar about Jeremy Stockwell's performance as Oscar. If anyone wants me, I'll be having a lie down in the wagon. I've always been a fan of Ken Campbell and everything that he stood for. And in the writing of Spring Hill Jack, I always hoped that we'd be able to give Ken a part in it. And there were numerous characters I thought Ken Campbell could play. Unfortunately, he passed away in 2008. However... A strange coincidence came about. I've been doing some filming with Jeremy Stockwell and uh, between takes, he started doing a Ken Campbell voice. And just suddenly I think, I got on the phone and said, Rob, do you still want Ken Campbell? As someone who uh, worked with Ken Campbell and trained under Ken Campbell, I was dead chuffed that Jeremy was willing to channel him for this production. Oscar, when in distress, often turns to one of his closest friends in the Harlequin players, Cuthbert Leach otherwise known as the Great Majesto, played by show business legend and national treasure, Nicholas Parsons. I've a belly full of butterflies. I've been working on my new trick all the afternoon. 
Nicholas Parsons has been a tremendous supporter of wireless theatre right from the early days and it was literally the most amazing stroke of luck that when we were casting this he approached Marielle and said do you have any roles going I'd like to come back in and work with wireless and we went he's, he's got to be you know the great Majesto. Abra, the man is legendary he's presented just a minute for 45 years now you know he is if there was anyone going to be in our radio show, you'd want one of those people who is the voice of radio. And every great magician needs a glamorous assistant. I say. It was absolutely the right time to bring in a character who is part Nancy, part Fagin. Really, that was our concept for Lizzie. She would be a two-fisted magician's assistant, master criminal, sidekick, and general all-round fantastic woman. Enter Lizzie Coombe, also known as Dreadful Penny, played by Josephine Timmons. What appealed to me about Lizzie was her warmth. She lived this life that had forced her to put up barriers and harden herself to the situations that she had to deal with, but that didn't seem to change her outlook on life. Maria, that was a name. And mine's Lizzie. She loves and takes care of the people around her. Uh, she works very hard at her rather lucrative forms of occupation, but she's built up a shell based around this life that she's fallen into rather than chosen and is sort of hiding in it. However, whatever secrets Lizzie hides, they fade in comparison to Elijah P. Hopcraft, the mysterious Punch and Judy man. Hello. Detective Inspector Smith. We always knew that the villain in series one was always going to be just the villain in the first series and that in series two, then right through the rest of the story, we were going to introduce a villain who would be his dark half, the Saruman to his Gandalf, the Belloc to his Indiana Jones. Hopcraft suffered the very same formative experience. He was there, as Smith was, as a child when Jack first came. But unlike Smith, he's a bad guy. We're kindred spirits, Smith. Both forged in the same fire, the Scratch Row fire to be precise. We always had in mind that the villain in series two and series three would be Smith's dark half, not just some black hat for Smith to have conflict with, but someone who would challenge what Smith is, someone who shared his obsessions but didn't have any of Smith's qualms in how he goes about solving the mystery of Springfield Jack. Mm. Also, someone who's more intelligent than Smith. The devil on the roof. You saw a devil. I simply saw something I couldn't explain. As it turns out, it wasn't an easy role to cast. He's a very difficult character to pin down, and we knew we wanted someone who could essentially pass off as someone who had cultivated a certain image and a background for themselves from scratch who could pass in all walks of life without question in a way that Smith never could. Andrew Shepard further explains. I came to be involved in the Spring Hill saga because Jack Bowman was directing the Shakespeare Conspiracy, which is a play I wrote, and emailed me or rang me and said uh, they're looking for a particularly villainous kind of person and uh, he thought of me, which was nice. No, what's stopping me? This cane isn't just an elegant walking accessory, it's air-powered and accurate up to 10 yards. But I'd only be firing from 10 inches. By the time anyone realised you were dead, I'd be calmly strolling away. But I really would prefer us to be friends, you know. The key to characters like Hopcraft are not playing the villain. It's you play against it. 
most dark, sadistic, amoral, evil characters are often quite charming, often quite compelling. They're also able to wake up in the morning, look themselves in the mirror and think they're wonderful. So you imbue them with a sense of lightness and charm and you don't make them evil. Finding Andrew Shepard was an absolute godsend because he was everything we wanted Popcraft to be and a little bit more. All of the players meet against the backdrop of Bartholomew's Fair, which not only existed, but during the research offered a fun coincidence. It's the kind of serendipity we had on the first series where the facts kind of worked around the story was that uh, when we have Spring Hill Jack attack Bartholomew Fair. That's Spring Hill Jack. That ain't Jack. That's Jack. And it all descends into craziness and chaos is that Rhymer says, I'm sure you've already heard about the year Bartholomew's Fair became a riot, leading to the city authorities shutting down the festivities once and for all. Which actually did happen, and as a result, the Bartholomew Fair eventually got wound down and cancelled. I wondered if there were any further links to either spring Jack or the paranormal in general regarding Bartholomew's Fair. Over to 14 expert Steve Ash. Bartholomew Fair does have certain traditions associated with it. There was lots of phantasmagories there, and one case of a, of a, of a fairground attraction that used projected ghost images. People like fire breathers as well at this time that would, that would have had sort of like an influence on people's perceptions of Spring Hill Jack. Interestingly, um, Ben Johnson's play of the same name, Bartholomew's Fair, mentions puppets that come to life which I thought kind of tied in with this idea of, of the punch character and, and Spring Hill Jack and the devil and that kind of thing. Suddenly before us were two Spring-Heeled Jacks. The first, a bouncing, cackling, masked madman, a punchinello with a flaming torch. And the second, a looming devil incarnate, wreathed in St Elmo's fire. And at the height of a tense standoff during the chaos, Springheel Jack comes face to face with his copycat, the killer of Maria Davies, played by Jane Dean. On the studio day that uh, I was doing my part, I was pretty much the only person in the recording studio. So my standoff was purely in my own imagination and the imagination of the director. So that was quite exciting because what was going on in my head may or may not have been what was actually in the script or indeed what was going on in the heads of our listeners. During the fallout of the panic, Smith on the run ends up taking to the streets of the city and then to its rooftops where a familiar sound calls out to him. And then he had the strangest feeling that the creature that he had dedicated his entire life to finding was not far away. Jack... In the first series, there's a moment where uh, Smith looks into Charlotte's pendant, The Burning Truth, and something rather peculiar happens to him, like he goes into a trance. Oh, I see. You're asking me where he obtained it. Yes. Then, by the end of the first series, when Smith is in his restless sleep, thinking it's all over, Jack calls out to him in his mind, and he realises that Springhill Jack is still alive and hasn't perished as he first thought. Then, at that moment, we realise that there is a proper psychic link that has developed between the two of them, and as a result, they are forever connected. No. No. Wait! 
So when we start series two, the trail has very much gone cold. He visits these crime scenes and the presence of Jack isn't there. However, just a little bit further on when he's walking towards the Fighting Cox Inn, it happens. He hears a burning truth and he hears Jack. That's how he knows Jack has returned. Hello, Jack. Wait, wait! And it is this link that leads Smith to a very close encounter, as Josephine Timmins explains. I love the build-up that's happening both on and off stage during the Harlequin Players show um, that just culminates in complete chaos. And then straight after that, it's this really tender moment between Smith and Jack. This monster he's been hunting is not a monster and that he, like Smith, is accused of a crime he didn't commit and he's the only person in the world who understands him. A big moment for both the writing team and the leading man. His personal story, I think, changes radically. It happens in one pivotal moment in the attic. It's about the moment where the, the poacher becomes gamekeeper. With his understanding of the world changed in a heartbeat, Jonah Smith takes a decision never thought possible. Not to capture, but to protect spring Jack from the mob. So essentially, the spring Jack hunter that Smith was dies, and Smith, the ally of spring Jack, is born. No, 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 don't try and run. Don't worry, I won't let him hurt you. The relationship between Jack and Smith is kind of identical to the mask of Jack changing the way the public sees him, the way Smith sees him. With the mob closing in, it seems that after the events of Bartholomew's fear, Smith isn't the only person to have changed. If I were in your place, I wouldn't believe me. The word I've seen tonight, maybe I believe you more than you think. Inspector Garrick, played by Neil McCormick. Inspector Garrick, a duty-bound officer, so he wants to do his job, but he's torn between his loyalty and respect for Jonah and his loyalty to the job. And I think his world has been opened up so much more with the experiences he's had. And then straight after that, it's a, it's this evil cliffhanger. What are you talking about? There's nowhere to run. Oh, I don't know. If spring Jack taught me anything, it's this. If in doubt, jump. No! With Smith appearing to have died protecting the mysterious creature he swore to capture, and with Hopcraft still at large, where does the story go from here as everyone races towards an explosive finale? So, dear listener, where next? Next time. File 4. How to Train Your Spring Heel. The Spring Heel Files were investigated by Cameron K. McEwen. Production assistant, Emily Best. It was edited by Marie Twayje. With thanks to George Maddox. Visit www.wirelesstheatre.com to download full episodes of the Spring Heel Saga. 
The Springheel Files were produced by Jack Bowman and Robert Valentine for Wireless Theatre.